Players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Dragon's Rage Channeler, Prismatic Ending, Urza Saga, and many others, battling head-to-head -head in brutal combat. They all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by Boshmerl on YouTube, Thraven University, and TheEpicStorm.com. This episode is sponsored by Tales of Adventure. Get sweet legacy staples and much more at ToaMagic.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 69 of the Eternal Glory podcast, Mulch Ado About Nothing. We've already recorded 30 minutes of introductions and banter for the week available on our Patreon-exclusive pre-show. Check out patreon.com slash eternalglory to gain access to all sorts of nonsense about everything from Elden Ring to baseball. There's like some magic stuff in there, too. It's, it's pretty cool. I talk about minotaurs. Get in. All right. Um, so kind of as a starting point here, uh, thank you very much to Buck Lambert for donating to help keep the old show running. And uh, Brian, I think you've got our new patrons. Yeah, we got Tyler C, Cage D, JM, Yan G, Ozymandias 17. That's Matt Vuk. What's up? Justin N, Charles S, and Eric. Thank you all for joining since our last episode. And I hope to read your name next week, listener. Wink, wink. We're going to start with the big blue-red elephant in the room, and for a few minutes, we're going to go ahead and talk about Delver. I know, I know, but we're a legacy podcast. If we didn't talk about this, given just, like, the absolute dominant showing Delver, Delver recently had, like, what, what good would we be? Uh, who wants to start us off here? If you look at the legacy showcase results, five of the top eight were blue-red is it Delver? And a lot of people on Twitter and Reddit and anywhere you read about Legacy are discussing, is Delver still too good? We're going to discuss that a little bit tonight, but I think we should also talk about the three remaining decks that were in the top eight. We had Ruby Storm, which I think was the surprise deck of the event. We had Eight Mulch, and the last deck was... I'm blanking now. Uh, it was a green-white splash-red depths deck. Uh, it was Michael Mapson. Okay, that is correct. Thank you. Shout out Michael Mapson. What's up, buddy? So two of those three decks were decks that just have phenomenal Delver matchups, right? And then Ruby Storm, I think, sort of just slipped through the cracks. So like, I'm not trying to belittle Ruby Storm here, but I think it definitely uh, rolled high that day. Sorry, I uh, side tangent. Uh, was it like four relay or just like traditional bonus round? Zero no, relay. One bonus wow. round relay one it had one i thought it was just a wish nope. target four four burning wish one galvanic relay i've got the deck list up now and one pirate's pillage which i don't know what it does makes treasures four mana sorcery as an additional cost to cast it discard a card draw two cards make two treasures oh that was like a standard and historic staple and any way you can double that spell is just cracked all okay. right makes sense all right <laughs> galvanic relay brian cook delver slayer that's the reason that's how it got through i mean they had one but they had five. i mean i think the the bonus round <laughs> deck rolled a little bit high that day that's my point here like i'm willing to, martin menman one is a super good player so i'm not trying to belittle martin here at all like they're very very good but i do think that ruby storm probably 
did a little bit better than the average result. And then we had the two depth stacks that are just like really, really good against Delver. So should more people be playing the depth stacks in order to combat Delver? How do we feel about this weekend's results? I want to start with a Twitter comment. I'm going to paraphrase here because I don't want to pull it up. Kellen Pastore said something along the lines of, I, th I think it was like split the finals with this deck or something like that, went 6-0 with against Delver along the way. Kellen was the eight multiplayer. Yeah. Right playing eight mulch so i think if you want to be playing big boy legacy and you want to be playing in these challenges these showcase events like i think it's very clear you need to play something that is either blue red delver or has a truly good matchup versus blue red delver and i don't mean like yeah i've played the delver matchup and i feel pretty good about it i mean like you have to be truly mathematically favored truly mathematically favored yeah, you got to smear that bug if you want to win the showcase. I saw somebody share their matchups uh, over nine rounds. They played against six Delver, three Kappa, eight cast, and that was their nine round tournament. They beat Delver four out of six times, but two losses, you're out of top eight. You can't beat Delver four out of six times. You have to beat it six out of six times if you want to win a tournament like that. That's what happened to me, Brian. In that event, I specifically went three and two versus Delver in my five rounds. That said, my overall win rate against Delver is 11 and 3, but in that one event, I slipped up one of the rounds. I didn't do what I needed to do, and because of that, I wasn't in top 8. Yep, there it is. It's just that easy. We all know Delver's floor is extremely high like a bad Delver matchup. They could still have like the Delver days wasteland force of will now I'm too far behind kind of thing. And even decks built to beat that will sometimes lose to that. So as far as like the discourse goes, I think everyone is at the kind of agree point. Delver Delver is an S tier deck still. It is still like absolutely the deck to beat. Is it a problem? Is it time to revisit the the ban conversation wizards when they banned ragavan said we're gonna keep an eye on legacy we're gonna keep an eye on delver specifically and we're willing to ban more things if it's necessary like are we getting to that point are things still adapt uh, like adapting are are people doing new things or have things kind of settled and people are getting bored and it's like yeah okay it's the best deck what else can we play that's not that deck and still have some fun and be competitive i remember a twitter comment from when ragavan got banned i forget who tweeted it but it was like delver got four new tools and you banned one of them like between expressive iteration which isn't from mh2 it's from strixhaven but same era expressive iteration ragavan dragon's rage channeler and murktide regent all sort of dropped in the same window and just supercharged delver and one of those four cards was banned there's still three gigantic upgrades for the deck still legal and we all talked about it like, i'm not trying to relitigate the ban conversation from two months ago or whenever that happened we all basically agreed to take the immediate boot off legacy's neck you got to hit ragavan if you want to further knock delver down then you're going to need to go farther and i think that is bearing out here one thing that i can't help but think about is wizard said we'll keep an eye on legacy and do something if we need to i'd like to believe that's true and i think that wizards has good intentions I'm not, i don't think there's anything malicious but i also think they don't really keep an eye on legacy and they might not bat an eye at five dollar in top eight traditionally at least in the last few years in order for change to happen in legacy a lot of voices have to get extremely angry and at this point it seems like people are so tired of being angry that they're just hopeless like they're like oh yeah uh, like there's no point in me screaming from the rooftops because nothing's going to happen no one will hear my cries no one will hear my cries like I'm, I'm not as upset as I should be because like I'm just like oh well I guess we'll get another change in six months. I'll, I'll drop a five dollar word here. It's just malaise. 
Right? There is just this sort of like stink of Delver. A lot of people are just like resigned. It's like, okay, yeah, this is what Legacy is is like right now. And it's hard to get really mad about Delver again when you've already been mad about Delver so long. If something were to change, people would be like, yes, okay, we're we're free. X, Y, and Z card were knocked out of Delver. Like, we, there's a lot of exploration. People would get excited again. But I think expectations from the, the folks in charge of the format right now are pretty low. It's not like with Popper, where, like, the format is just, like, incredibly dynamic and changing and, like, adjustments are frequently happening right now and people are excited about that. Legacy is what Legacy is. There's a lot of fun things to like about it still. I want to circle back to that point when we start talking about 8 Mulch because there's not a new card in 8 Mulch right? Like those are all cards that have existed for many years. And now there's this deck. But that's a conversation for the bulk of the article. Yeah, I kind of disagree with that. Because I think a new card, new ish card actually enables this archetype. Okay, modern we'll talk Horizons about that later one, but we'll get to that. So there's a Twitter comment that I Oh, God, was that really modern horizons one? We'll get to it. Ah. Uh, but I saw a Twitter comment that was there's no point in discussing the banning of a card out of Delver, because at this point, they've shown that they're resistant to hitting the core. So there's no point in arguing about brainstorm days, wasteland, force negation, etc. Because they're not going to hit those cards. So you should only discuss the the threats. And I felt like that was such a weird way of looking at it, because at some point I'd like to believe that they'll just fix the problem instead of just like reapplying tape over and over again. And I think if you only think that they'll ever do that, you're missing out on the potential for something better in a way. Like you have to dream big or else big things will never happen. If you only ask for small raises, you'll never get a big one, that sort of thing. And I think you want the best for your format. You want the best for your play experience. You should strive to get what's best for everyone. I, I just don't agree that you should only ask for little things. There's this story from Saturday Night Live in the 80s and early 90s when Conan O'Brien worked there. Uh, I'm a big Conan fan. And he talks about how there was a head writer on Saturday Night Live in that era. I forget who it was. I'm sorry, Hollywood people. But he was just brilliant and knew his way around the business and could write the hell out of a sketch, uh, etc. All this stuff, but extremely difficult to work with. Very prickly, no bedside manner, just straight up like whip your script back at you and tell you it's trash, try again. And when people would complain about this writer to each other, they would have to go through the whole rigmarole of like, he's an industry titan, he's a brilliant individual, some of the best stuff that's ever been on the show is him, but da da da. So they invented this word. I think it was like flavin or something, just a nonsense two syllables that they could just say flavin and then get into the stuff they were complaining about to just like that shortcut the whole like, well, he's a brilliant titan of the interesting bubble. We're kind of at the flavin state of Delver where it's like, well, obviously Days, Delver, Wasteland, Brainstorm, like these cards are completely cracked. Fetchlands enable a lot of bullshit in the format, but Dragon's Rage Channeler is out of bounds, man. Like that's sort of our flavin at this point. And uh, it, that just connected for me right now. And yeah. There are a lot of things that would fundamentally change legacy. Hitting days does not just hit Delver. That affects many things. Hitting Brainstorm fundamentally alters the format. Hitting Fetchlands fundamentally alters the format. And I'm not necessarily opposed to those things. I'm going to keep playing legacy because the format's great. But the difference between like hitting Dragon's Rage Channeler that's literally only in one deck and days or Brainstorm is is a fundamental is like a really different conversation it's not just we've given up on the the real target it's where we're keeping our target in sight and not just wiping out collateral damage along the way i don't know how many videos i've recorded recently where i've said 
this deck is really cool. This deck's really fun. This deck's really powerful, but I don't really think you can play it in a world of Blue Red Delver. I, I would like to unlock the DLC that is more legacy decks. That's that's kind of where I'm at. I've just played so many decks that just absolutely fucking fold to like the Merktide Regent that appears after you answer the first two creatures from Delver. Yep. That's definitely true. In my content, it's like most people in leagues are either trying to speed run trophies with like reanimator or playing something they like. And when I, it's actually jarring to me when I queue into Delver in a league, I'm just like, oh, we got a try hard in the chat and not belittling try hard, but just genuinely like, oh, someone's getting their reps in here. And that's just like not what I use leagues for. And it it is like kind of jarring where I'm like, I'm playing like Aeruth Storm or something, a a three drop (laughs) creature that needs to get through days red blast and blue blast and like every other counter magic and removal spell on the earth and like oh you're blue red delver we're gonna have a good time here i guess see you next round everybody all right do we have any final thoughts on delver here we don't really want this to be the the bulk of the episode if we didn't say something we kind of felt like it would be irresponsible in the wake of uh people starting to have these conversations i know uh joe dyer of mtg goldfish uh put out a cleverly titled like is it time like wink wink nudge nudge article today yeah yeah one thought that i have on delver is i would like i do like that delver exists in the format i think that type of play pattern is cool and unique to legacy and it's good to exist i would like to see delver be three colors again like for the longest time two colors didn't cover enough ground for the Delver strategy. Like, is it Delver was sort of like a weird burn version of Delver? That deck had like Storm Chaser Mage or Sprite Dragon, sometimes even Fire Blast, if we go back far enough in time. Like, it was just like a weird tempo burn deck, not this card advantage late game, early early game threat with late game crushing inevitability thing that we have now. Decks really did have to go green for Tarmogoyf or black for Garmag Angler, or they had to finish their, they had to round out their meal somewhere. And the fact that it can just do it all right now and you wasteland, if you ever wasteland Delver, you feel like you're losing because it's just like, oh, another volcanic island. They play five or six of those and you can't get them all. But if you could like clip the trop off of Rug Delver and they have to play on Blue Red for a little while and dig into unlocking their green threats, like that was a play pattern that just doesn't exist right now. I would like to see Delver kicked back into the three color sphere. Speaking of being three colors, one Reed Duke played Rug Delver this weekend in the showcase. I believe came in top 16. I was like 11th or 13th, I think. And Reed was playing Rug specifically for Tarmogoyf, but there's only two copies of Tarmogoyf. It's just additional creatures on top of all of the standard ones, and then two Ancient Grudge in the board. So a total, and I'm going to count this as three green cards, two Tarmogoyf and two Ancient Grudge, but that was it. And people are like, oh, that's spicy. I'm like, that is not spice. That is like saying that mayonnaise is spicy. Yeah, ketchup is too spicy for those people. Reed Duke, obviously brilliant. Flavin, you know what I'm about to say. Reed, Reed is Reed. But to me, that looks like you exposed yourself to Wasteland and Submerge in the Delver Mirror of all places to get a creature that's smaller than Murktide region. That's how that looks to me on paper. No arguments here. Yeah. I mean, if I had to take a wild guess, Reed thought to himself, hey, Ancient Grudge is really good right now. I want to be playing this card. If I'm playing green, I might as well run a few Goyf. Yeah. I get wanting to have more things that live through lightning bolt effects when you're expecting to run into a lot of blue red Delver, but holy fuck, Merktide Regent is so goddamn good. Like, I just want to be able to draw towards that card and play that card as many times as humanly possible. And if I can get two of them to grow the first one, 
Oh. Yeah, turning on Submerge just seems like such a, a spew, even more than having the, the shaky mana. Well, uh, shall we transition into our primary topic of the Eat night? Mulch! Yeah, speaking of Submerge, All right. let's get into this yeah, almost mono green deck. It's Merit Lodge time. So, 8 Mulch, in case you're not familiar with the deck, refers to a newer version of lands that is playing 4 copies of Winding Way and 4 copies of Mulch. Uh, if you're not familiar with these cards, essentially they let you look at the top four cards of your library and put any lands into your hand. When you are playing an absolute crap ton of lands, this oftentimes ends up being a two mana draw two, draw three, sometimes draw four card. And just in terms of like raw metrics, like you all have probably played with enough divination style cards to know that when you have more cards than your opponent, you're pretty likely to do well in that game, right? And Delver playing Expressive Iteration is just a fantastic example of that. Right. And uh, where do the cards that aren't lands go, Phil? They go to the graveyard, I believe, right? Oh, and uh, is there a, a green sorcery that, that goes well in lands decks, Phil? I, I think that's a, a Life from the Loam. I, oh. I think I've seen that see play a couple places. So sometimes these turn into an upfront draw two or three. And then over the course of the game, that one mulch might result in 10 or 12 cards in your hand, like pretty yes. easily. If we if we count those all to the original mulch that found and binned the, the loam, which I do, that's part of the engine. Uh, and speaking of the engine, kind of what makes it acceptable for you to be drawing this many lands is the fact that this deck plays both for exploration and for Mana Bond. So Mana Bond, for you newer Legacy players, is something that you have maybe seen as a one-of, as the fifth exploration in land-style decks. But back in the day, this card used to see much more play. And now that you are playing a bunch of potentially draw-four-style effects, it makes a lot of sense to just have these things that can really dump all of the lands into play now for those of you used to looking at traditional lands there's something that's absent in this deck that is uh frankly a little wild at first glance brian i think you added this to the show notes so i'll let you take this one it was bryant or did you say oh, bryant it was me but uh i said whoever wrote that <laughs> there's a real <laughs> lack and this shocked me at first of mox diamond which is pretty interesting because when you think of lands you think of hey lands plays mox diamond it is that deck's powerful reserveless card that isn't dual lands well i mean obviously there's tabernacle and stuff but mox diamond is the real one at least in my eyes you can't tell me otherwise i won't hear it so mox diamond is missing that's pretty strange well when you're playing for mulch and for winding way a card from modern horizons one fill it, it, it's not a card that goes to your hand so you're not really gaining advantage by revealing Mox. And while going turn one land, Mox Diamond Mulch is pretty sweet because it makes up for that card disadvantage, throughout the course of your average draw, you're taking more losses than you are gains. So I think it actually makes a lot of sense to just be playing zero Mox Diamond and then playing additional lands. Something I want to call out about this build is, Phil, there's 36 lands in this deck. That is a lot when you compare it to average lands builds. Uh, Brian might remember this as a fellow old-timer, but back in the day, lands was called 43 lands. And over time, they've gotten down to like 32, 31. And I can't help but think to myself, like, what happened to those 43 lands days? And here we're up to 36. Uh, so it's definitely like a call to the past. And I can't help but think of, and I'm going to mispronounce their last name, but Kurt Spees, who is like the, really the first lands player from the Baltimore area that I can remember. They had these mana bond builds that were just like turn one mana bond, 
dump Dark Depths Thespian Stage into play, threaten to kill you. Yeah, the Kurt Spies era of lands, he was the one who kind of figured out just for gamble for crop rotation. We can actually play real spells in our lands deck. It doesn't just have to be loam exploration mana bond sort of looping. That's, I believe that was, I, I have been wrong about magic history before a deck that I'm not a specialist of, but I believe Thespian Stage was the thing that tipped it into like a, we can be a turn two combo deck sort of space where it didn't have to be this weird grindy, like mind slaver with Academy ruins or beat you down with uh mistress factory when you had no permanence left. Like that's sort of what lands was doing like blue lands before it morphed into red green lands. And yeah, the crop rotation gamble uh, setup let you really quickly assemble merit Lage, but then you also still had all the wastelands and loams and stuff. And Kurt Spies really figured that out. And during that era, or at least towards the tail end of that era, I don't remember how it started, but there were four exploration and one mana bond. And mana bond was a gamble target for the matchups where you could just load up the shotgun and whip your hand at your opponent. But then you frequently boarded it out because you just wanted spells. Because you're boarding in spells to supplement your lands and mana bond puts all your lands into play and makes you discard the rest of your hand. So the more spells in your deck, the worse mana bond gets. And we're currently in an era where this deck just... It's like, you know what? Spells suck. Let's go. All right. So speaking of era, um, I want to talk about why I think this deck is appearing right now. And I think the card that makes this deck work is a Modern Horizons 2 card, Yavamaya Cradle of Growth. This is the thing that I think makes this fucking deck work because I think it was unplayable before that. Yeah, that's the big piece. This deck, I don't have the deck list up, but plays something along the lines of like, 16 lands that do not produce colored mana for the deck because like it has wastelands it has four maze of its it has dark depths uh it has thespian stages it has field of the dead tabernacle and tower of the magistrate is in here yeah that that one's a flex slot that one's that one's cute for cauldra i i respect the hell out of it uh it also makes your creatures unblockable against eight cast i got clowned by tower uh when i played eight cast recently for those of you that weren't playing during the stoneblade era of legacy tower of the magistrate is a land from masks that is a land that taps for a colorless mana or you can pay one and tap it target creature gains protection from artifacts until end of turn yep protect your merit lage from either spell bomb or let it punch through any number of const or uh, constructs or thopters or knock cal- cauldra off of the germ it's that's holding it is that's sort of what it does but it, it is a land that doesn't make colored mana in this deck so i think the existence of yavamaya so that many of these lands produce green mana is super important if you have played traditional lands a decent amount you know that like despite being a like a two color deck red and green primarily like the mana is surprisingly bad in the deck this deck is damn near a mono green deck uh usually there's like red in the sideboard for some blasts or something uh and the mana's like surprisingly not good and you will have to mulligan hands for not having green mana yavamaya really helps out with that um because it gives you multiple green sources for when you do want to chain multiple spells together in a turn or when you need to like set up a spot so that you can play a spell play a second spell after something gets countered um it helps a lot with those situations and then I think one of the cards from Neo also helps out a lot with this archetype, Boseju, who endures. So in lands, this is an uncounterable answer to problematic things on the other side of the battlefield that you can recur while also being uncounterable 
and a green source, that card checks so many boxes at the same time for this deck. It does. It's pretty awkward with Mana Bond, because Mana Bond doesn't give you any selection. Did we read Mana Bond or just sort of vaguely hint at what it does? Uh, I'm gonna... We vaguely hinted it. Go All ahead. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the real text. It is during your end step or at the beginning of your end step, you may reveal your hand and put all land cards from it on the battlefield. If you do discard your hand, this does, this is an exploration where you get to pick your spots. It's at the end, at the beginning of your end step, you get a choice. Am I doing the mana bond thing or not? So you don't have to do it, but the trigger will occur. And then you can decide I'm putting all lands into play and discarding everything else, or I'm not doing that. So if you're trying to play around blood moon, you can't just chuck your Basaju into play. You do have to decline your Mana Bond trigger. Uh, if you are trying to hold up Red Blast against Show and Tell, you don't get to trigger your Mana Bond because Red Blast will be in the graveyard. So there is some decision making there that Basaju is a little awkward with, but it is great with, of course, Exploration and uh, Loam. And the deck can take lines where we trigger Mana Bond early. If it doesn't work out, I can Wasteland Basaju, Loam it back, and then have it. Uh, it's got lines to do that, but Mana Bond is a little awkward there. And I think the third thing that kind of makes this deck good right now is, as we've already talked about, the competitive legacy metagame is exceptionally small right now, right? Like, if you are playing in a legacy challenge, a showcase challenge, something of that nature, you are expecting to play against Delver, what, on average four times in one of those events? Does that sound roughly accurate? Yeah, probably every other round yeah, on average, maybe a little higher. This, and this is going to get into the strengths of this deck. This is a deck that truly has a good Delver matchup. This is not the guy at your local GameStop saying like, yeah, I'm three and over, this is Delver. Like, I have a good Delver matchup. This is like, you have four Maze of Ithas. Ma maze of, you have four Maze of Ith, the ability to recur it. You have Tabernacle backing that up. You have Merit Lodge, which is a pain in the butt for Delver to answer. And you have Field of the Dead for if you drag the game on so that you can go wide of what they are they are doing. Um, there's a lot to like about the Delver matchup for this deck. One thing I'd like to call out for those of you that have been playing Legacy for a long time, when you think of lands, or at least if you're as old as I do, you think of Glacial Chasm, a card that's left lands recently. 8 Mulch has gone up on lands all the way up to 36. They are still not playing Glacial Chasm. It really sucks to die in one turn to your glacial, glacial Chasm dying. Like, that's the Murktide Regent world, right? Like, if you let that 8-8 eight, eight or larger Murktide Regent sit in play, all your opponent has to do is find a Wasteland, blow up Glacial Chasm, and that's the game. You would rather be hiding behind multiple Maze of Ith, if at all possible. Yeah, I, I've been getting slapped around by Maze of Ith lately in this deck. People, That's a card that fell out of favor for a while, but it's back, and it's a good one. One thing that I find pretty interesting as well is there are two copies of Dark Depths. While this is a Depths deck, there's three copies of Field of the Dead. And out of those 36 lands, a lot of them are singletons. So I think that's pretty interesting. Uh, the strength of Field of the Dead is more important than the Dark Depths combo, uh, even in the Delver matchups where all of their creatures fly nowadays, which is pretty different if you think about how legacies changed over the last few years, because you used to be able to stall out Termogrifts on the ground or something along those lines. But with the push for Modern Horizons 2, Dragon's Rage Channeler flies, Murktide flies, Delver flies. So the value of those zombies are mostly just beaters. They're not really blockers. Yeah. Uh, one cool thing, I'm looking at Kellen's list from the, the showcase specifically here. He has one Grove of the Burn Willows and no Punishing Fire. Nowhere in the 75. 
and that's just for Field of the Dead. Like, there's two Taiga. It's not like he's maxed out on Taiga then dipping into Grove. This is just to diversify the red-green dual land that counts for Field of the Dead. I think that's a deck-building mistake, though. I, I just posted a 8-mulch video, and a lot of people in my comments were coming at me and saying, why are you playing th this land for Field of the Dead? And they responded, why not Carplusion Forest? Isn't it way better to deal one damage to yourself sometimes than to put your opponents to 21 when you're the Merit Lodge deck? Yeah. And I get not wanting to take damage in the Delver world, but like 21 is a big number. So I've been giving that some thought. I'm, I'm not going to make a statement like rarely or frequently or whatever. Like uh, not every game is going to be won by Merit Lage and it's not going to happen quickly every time either. Like, sometimes you end up dancing around it, sometimes it does happen right away and it gets submerged or brazen borrowed or whatever. Sometimes the games go very long. If I am playing a game that's going to go six turns versus Delver, I would rather gain have them gain two life than me take two life off of my land. Anything that can, like, give them one less attack or get them one bolt closer to me being dead, I'm not into it. I I'm on Team Grove here, at least on paper, without having played either of them, just... This is a control deck in a lot of matchups, and even the Delver matchup, depending on the texture of the opening hand and what answers your opponent presents, and they're going to have fetch lands, they're going to have force of wills. You're rarely going to put them to 21 in a place that it matters, where they're always going to be looking for a way to deal extra damage to you. It is a, a it is a cool thought, but I, I, I'm on Team Grove, though. Kellen Pastore is a very, very good magic player. I'm sure they had their reasons, uh, but an interesting alternative to both of those, being Grove of the Burnbellos and Carpusian Forest, would be Sheltered Thicket, the red-green cycle land. It's absent from this deck list. I understand it's a tap land, but that is another card you could play. I'm sure Kellen has the reasons for not including it, because at this point, it's in a lot of lands lists, so they might have just decided it's not worth it, but it's another card you can in theory run. I don't think I like the tap land in the uh, deck that wants to play a two mana card on turn two so many times, but yeah. I want that in my pile of cards that I'm considering. Yeah, I was also going to suggest the slow land because we have a uh, razor verge thicket, which is the fast land. It comes into play untapped if it's one of your first three lands. And then from one of the recent Innistrad sets, I forget which, whether it's Crimson Vow or Midnight Hunt and what the name of the actual card is, but there is a red-green comes into play untapped if it's your third land or later. And that one, in most games, would be mostly pain-free, but in the games where you're trying to turn one exploration or turn two mulch, it's going to be the stone worst. So I, I re reject my original idea of playing that one. Though, shouting out old modern KCI that just played four Grove of the Burn Willows as Taiga, like Grixis Death Shadow or various flavors of Shadow were present in that metagame, so giving your opponent life was frequently good. But in every matchup other than that, it was just irrelevant. Like, if I'm going to win this game, it's coming hard, and it doesn't matter if you're at 23, because I'm winning. And that's what Field of the Dead games look like, too. So as far as some other strengths of this deck go, unlike traditional builds of lands, this deck has a lot more explosive starts. Like, you could just play a turn one mana bond and legit actually factually make a Merit Lodge on turn one. Or you can get Field of the Dead going exceptionally quickly in this deck. You, you have decent inevitability with Field of the Dead versus the slower blue control decks as well. 
So those are some of the reasons my, why you might want to be looking into this deck list. So why don't you want to play this deck? Like, what are some of the weaknesses of this deck? What could you do to fight against this deck? Like, that that sort of stuff. Well, I was praying. I didn't know that Kellen was on 8 Mulch. But I did know that Kellen plays decks that cannot beat combo. And, well, this fits the bill. And when you look at the sideboard, there's 2 Surgical Extraction, 2 Red Elemental Blast, 2 Force of Vigor, 4 Collector Roof. So Kellen did put some cards in there, but... If I'm looking at this deck list, I would have been, I would have been huge smile, like, yes, let me get paired into the four collector roof deck. Because when you look at traditional builds of lands, they have four sphere resistance and like usually like two mind break traps, if any at all. And if you know that your opponent only has four collector roof, but also no mox diamond, that means that the their first play that they can make that's really good happens on turn two which just completely changes the dynamic of the matchup because when you look at the really good legacy combo decks right now they all tend to be pretty fast no disrespect to the the ant results recently but i think the epic gamble is actually a lot better than people give it credit for because like there's the whole ruby storm sort of meme and then we saw martin medmitten top eight with classic ruby storm it's a fast deck the epic storm can play to its roles but when it needs to be fast it can mulligan into that led echo hand and just a turn to collector roof often won't be good enough at least in my experience one thing on on my end having just recently played this that one thing i didn't like about this deck is that it doesn't really have any ability to pressure planeswalkers the the various blue control decks right now tend to be playing a lot of planeswalkers um jeskai is pretty popular right now uh it's got teferi it's got narset sometimes it's got the the wandering emperor and in the beginning of the game, you just have no ability at all to interact with these. As games go really long, you can get Field of the Dead online, but your opponent is going to get just free turns of Planeswalkers activations. You don't have Punishing Fire to to poke at them or anything like that. And I kind of disliked that about the deck. Yeah, I've been pushing non-Valu Planeswalkers in general, just across the board, because Pyroblast is such a common answer right now. We've seen the Wandering Emperor. I've been kind of into Nissa who shakes the world. That's the slot that I used to play Paradox Zone in for fair matchups, but Baseju kind of blanked my my buzz on Paradox Zone. But non-blue planeswalkers are just well positioned right now across the metagame. Yeah, Wand- Wandering Emperor was uh, pretty good against Merit Lodge, just um, throwing it out there. Um, yep, yeah, sometimes the deck can be a, a little slow to get going. Sometimes it can close be a little slow to close out the games because like you just haven't found one of your win conditions because you're not actually playing that many ways to win the game. Like you're hoping to recycle the win conditions that you do find. Sometimes they're just at the bottom of your deck and you don't find them and life's awkward. Yeah, and one thing that I've noticed playing against this deck is there's kind of a like philosophy of fire thing going where, and I don't mean the design principle. I mean like the old, like I believe it was Adrian Sullivan. Like when you're playing against burn, every card in their hand is worth three damage and you can reasonably pace out how a game's going to go based on how many cards are in your opponent's hand versus your life total. This deck wants a exploration effect and lands to cash out. And they start with seven cards in their hand. The deck is Kind of prone to mulligans because it needs one of those things to get started. It needs a green source to get started. It too. needs that's it really needs a important. green source and an exploration effect to get started. It's going to start on six some amount of the times. They play the green source, five cards left in their hand. They play the exploration, four cards left in their hand. What if you force it? A lot of decks have force of will or whatever uh, some interaction to that. Now they have four cards in their hand, and 
If one of them's not another exploration effect, now they're just making land drops. Loam gets a lot worse if you're not exploring. And there's sort of like, you can clip the various engines, like surgical extractions in almost every deck, just hit the loam. And now they have to just hit land drops and win the game. Even if they do have exploration, they got to load up that hand somehow. You do see, like, once you get over that first wave, it's like, okay, now I can sort of pace out what I need to do for the rest of this game. Uh, it's just, it's kind of Belcher-esque in, on turn one, where obviously it's going to survive a force will a lot better than Belcher does, but there is that opening salvo and you're like, uh-oh, 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 oh, okay, okay. They have three cards left in their hand. I countered their exploration. I'm ready to go here. I have endurance for the first loam. I can pace this out from here. Yeah, I absolutely felt that in my league. Where I would look at my hand, I'd go, this hand is nuts. And then like I'd hit Force of Will Days and it's like, oh, oh no, I have a clunky pile of lands here that doesn't do anything without my supporting cast. I'm in trouble. Yeah, I, in my video that released today, Tuesday, when we were recording this, I was playing Elves and I played Elves versus this deck. They had Mana Bond on turn one off of a mulligan. They just like yeeted their hand into play. It wasn't a Field of the Dead. It didn't make Merit Lage. It was just six lands, and they were like, let's get the ball rolling and see what comes off the top. Here are my six lands. And they were Hellbent. And I was like, okay, uh, I have a turn three win here. And they drew off the top, passed the turn. I set up, played my second turn. They drew off the top, crop rotated into Wasteland, Wastelanded me, then played Loam, picking up Wasteland, and Wastelanded me again off the Mana Bond trigger. And I was like, oh, sometimes... They're going to be hellbent and draw crop rotation into life from the loam. But that could have easily been wooded foothills, grove of the burn willows. You know, like there's like some faith in the deck where it's like, I'm going to stick my mana bond, get ready to pop and then rub my fingers and hope for the top deck to deliver. And between the the eight mulches and the four loams and the crop rotations, they do have a lot of hits, but they have a lot more shitty lands. The final thing I'll say under weaknesses of the deck, and I don't mean this as a true weakness, but it feels like this is the appropriate section to say this in. I do feel like most land-based decks are rather difficult to play. You have a lot of decision trees where you you are deciding whether or not you want to loam, whether or not it is worth it for you to discard a relevant card in order to do a mana bond trigger. You have a lot of things that are not clear-cut where I think it is going to take multiple leagues with the deck for you to be comfortable with how some of these decisions that are going to that are going to play out. So if you look at this deck and go, wow, people are crushing with this deck. I need to pick up this deck and try this because it's really good. Like just temper your expectations a little bit and expect to need to play with this a little bit to kind of get it. It's not just going to be like Blue Red Delver where you pick it up and it's like, oh, so this is the power of Ultra Instinct. I suspect that this deck is easier to play than previous versions of lands uh, due to just like the raw power nature of it but you are going to have to make mulligan decisions and know when and how to dance around like counter spells like post board are you gonna hold your exploration till you find a pyroblast or do you just go like those are the sort of decisions you're gonna have to know how to make a non-lethal thespian stage is where heroes are made where you don't have the dark depths and but you do have like I can copy my opponent's basic land to protect my stage. I can copy my Field of the Dead to double zombie when I get there, but I'm not quite there yet. I can copy Maze of Ith to make sure I stay alive for a few turns, then flip it into Field of the Dead. Those are where it's going to be really interesting, and you do need to know what you're doing. Uh, here, here's a great example from the league I played. I boarded out crop rotation versus a bunch of the blue decks, thinking, I don't want this to get countered and decrease my land count 
for Field of the Dead. And then I had trouble finding Field of the Dead. Did did I do that correctly logically? Did I mess up? Like, I think there's a lot of things like that where it's like you need the reps to understand the significance of some of your decisions. Yeah, and if you have a resource like a Kellen Pastore or Daryl Ayers or Jarvis, uh, who like Jarvis streams, he puts himself out there. I know Daryl writes sometimes. I know Kellen writes sometimes. And I, I don't know what's out there as far as uh, matchup planning or sideboard guides. But if you have a resource to shortcut how the experts are thinking about this, that will help you get there. All right. Um, why don't we talk about some of the decks interactions? Um, Brian, as our, our most judgy person uh, here, do you want to talk about like what happens if you dump in a field of the dead and a bunch of other lands at the same time? Well, they all see each other and you get a shitload of zombies. Holy cow! It's almost like the deck was built with that in mind. Yeah, just imagine uh, Escape Shift for Valakut. That's been a thing ever since Valakut was printed, and still, th that's what's going on here. Uh, they arrive, they look around, they meet the criteria for Field of the Dead, and you get a bunch of zombies. It's that easy. Um, that's something that I expected to come up a lot more, um, but didn't come up in my league in particular. But I really thought I was going to get a lot of like dredge life from the loam, life from the loam, get three lands, uh, end a turn, mana bond, bloop, three zombies every turn. That didn't end up coming up nearly as much as I expected it would. But like, it's obviously a thing this deck is designed to do. Yeah, I wish I was paired against you because I've definitely seen like my opponent on the draw, keep seven, go up to eight cards in the hand, mana bond, chick chick boom, <laughs> seven zombies turn one. I have seen that occur. I believe I one time got seven zombied and merit-laged, like among the seven lands oh. where the, the stage and the depths, like the deck is capable of some shenanigans. It's not going to happen every time, but like the, the shotgun blast potential is there. Yeah, the the ceiling of how good the opening hands can be with this deck are, are very, very dumb. And one thing I want to point out about Field of the Dead, because it's a card I've been playing a lot lately, a lot more fairly than this, but once you have seven different land types you every land triggers field for a zombie like if you have seven lands and one of them's wooded foothills your eighth land can be wooded foothills and you get a zombie uh, they don't all have to have different names throughout once you're over the threshold you're cranking so if you play seven different lands and then another field of the dead that's going to make two zombies because it sees itself and the other field sees it and that becomes very common when Thespian Stage starts copying Field of the Dead, and then every land drop is two to four zombies. That's tough to come back from. So something else that like wouldn't have been immediately obvious to me, um, but I listened to Daryl talking about the deck a little bit before I played it, is that you don't always want to play out your mana bond when you have it. So like, let's say it's turn one, you're on the play, and you're not going to use your mana bond you might not want to play out your mana bond because we live in a prismatic ending world where your thing can just be answered for one mana. So there are going to be times where it is correct for you to hold your mana bond and not play it so that when you are ready to use it, you can just play it, get the trigger before your opponent can use a sorcery speed answer to it and set you back. Yeah, mana bond has, sometimes it has exploration energy and sometimes it has show and tell energy. And you don't slam show and tell until you have the Grizzlebrand, if you know what I'm saying. All right. So let's say 
you are wanting to fight against this deck, you're seeing this deck in your leagues, a bunch of people in your local metagame are are picking up this deck. How how do we fight this? Is this like traditional lands? Do we need to attack it in a different way? What are what are your thoughts? Well, Blood Moon and Back to Basics are not quite what they used to be with Pesaju floating around. I have been really into Ruination. That's kind of the the place I want to be in my Grixis or Jeskai control deck. And Ruination destroys all non-basic lands. Uh, red and three destroy all non-basic lands, sorcery. And that also has tremendous splash, splash damage against the greedy blue soup decks, where you're going to mop up a dark band or a four color, like red spicy band, whatever we're calling that one, on a rock band. Uh, you're going to sweep up a lot of those decks along the way. But you need to put these decks in the dirt not by a little time. Uh, I guess if you're like a a deck with a clock, I'll let Bryant talk about being combo where I guess you just ignore their lands and kill their face. But maybe if you're Delver, you're actually pushing damage, a, a strategic wasteland here or there will do the thing. But just loaming back wasteland as a fair bant deck's not going to get it done here. Uh, you you want to slam the door closed. Brian, you mentioned Ruination, which is a card near and dear to my heart. I love that card. But in recent past, and by recent, I mean 2014, 2015, Miracles was playing from the ashes for the lands matchup because it was a deck with tons of bases, basics itself. So if you're unfamiliar with from the ashes, it is exactly what Ruination is, except for each non-basic that is destroyed, that player may search their library for a basic land and put it into the table. When we look at this red-green 8-mulch deck, there are two basics. There's a snow-covered forest and a regular forest for Field of the Dead. Do you think that the decks that would want to play Ruination would benefit from 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 the Ashes, or do you think it's a hindrance allowing this 8-mulch deck to have two basic forests? I think that mopping up what's on the board and then letting the dust settle is better than giving them access to their two basics, because two basics cast Loam, and then they're right back in. That's a fair point. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, the one thing I want to add here is I think it is good for you to play multiple different effects if you can. Um, I, I wish I remembered their username. I've forgotten it. But in my last round, when I was playing this 8-mulch deck, I played against a Jeskai control player who had Blood Moon and Back to Basics and Ruination. And my god, was that stressful to play. They just had so many different angles of attack, any one of which, like, maybe I can come back and beat that. But those things in conjunction were just absolutely disgusting, and I just had no chance. They showed up in my YouTube comments later and were like, yeah, I played this in four of my last uh, ten rounds. Like, I just needed to be prepared for this deck. And, like, if you are a blue soup deck of some kind, like... You can beat this deck. Like, a few card tweak does so much for you. Yeah, if you're a deck that has basic lands, then you should be probably diversifying the options here. Uh, though, I feel like that's the uh, Bryant's tweet from the other week of, like, decks shouldn't try to beat everything. They should try to raise their win percentage overall. And I know uh, Matthew Vuk played two Ruination in his Jeskai or Grixis. No, it was Grixis. Two Ruination in his Grixis deck. And that felt good. I played one in my Grixis deck and I wish I saw it more. 
So two makes sense. But once you're on the third different thing, like if you have two ruinations and a blood moon, uh, you're starting to lose sideboard space against other things. And I guess if this is going to be a meta player and it's the one thing you're worried about, go ahead, point the gun in that direction. Uh, just hold the sights till they walk across them or uh, just accept that it's a tough matchup. Uh, that That's one of those deck building decisions that's that we're all going to have to make. If you were the Blue Red Delver player and you're like, how do I possibly beat this 8 Mulch deck? I'd like to circle back to a previous point. They don't have Mox Diamond. So look at the past. That's one of the best things you can do. If you're struggling, look at what past decks played. And I can't help but think of Winter Orb. Yes, they have Besaju. Yes, they have Force of Vigor. They are not going to board in Force of Vigor versus Blue Red Delver. Do they leave and besage you? Probably. Like, there's little reason for them to take it out, but it is a two of. When you're, is it Delver? You can look at 30, 40 cards by turn four with all your Dragon's Rage Channeler and Ponders and Brainstorms and Expressive Iteration. You will find a Winter Orb. And I think that's a card that you can play as a singleton and then have it be super high impact in the matchup. Just because they have to tap lands turn after turn when they're not running Mox Diamond. But another card that is fairly well-rounded, which you could play, I don't know if they're currently playing it, I don't have a Delver list up, I could probably scroll through, but Pythy Needle or Pithy Needle, however you like to pronounce it. That was the card I was going to talk about. And then Name Besaju, your Winter Orb is never getting destroyed now. And then I guess they have one Blast Zone, but like that's a lot of work they would have to jump through to blow up that Winter Orb. And then Winter Orb's going to just crush that matchup. I shouldn't be helping Blue Red Dollar players here, but Winter Orb is definitely something I would have my eyeball on. Okay, I thought we were going to go in a different direction with Pithing Needle. So um, in my mind, the four Maze of Ith is like the thing that I'm super worried about. Like my Marktide Regent will kill you in two hits if I can get those hits in. Like a turn one Pithing Needle on Maze of Ith just like solidly in in the dark like if you know what the matchup is like probably is worth a decent amount of damage and there's going to just be two bosages in the deck it's not going to be the sort of thing that like you can just crop rotation for and easily use to answer your problem right so i i think leaning on artifacts there uh probably works out from multiple different angles also bosaju is not disenchant it is disenchant it's assassin's trophy like it's not disenchant so even if like you drop that early needle whether you name maze of ith or thespian stage like stage is the defensive play maze is the offensive play depending on the texture of your hand if they have the besaju if they invest two mana in using it you've now ramped the expressive iteration deck and just high octane this delver deck you may have just ramped them into ponder into their winter orb like there's and if they use Besaju on Pithing Needle, like Bryant said, name Besaju with Needle to stick the Winter Orb, or just Needle something essential to their plan, and they have to use it, and then you can Orb after that. Or put them to the test, like have both in play, just Needle Maze of Ith and play Winter Orb. Good luck over there. Uh, there's There are minor adjustments that a Delver player can make to sort of squeeze this a little bit. So one thing that I was discussing with one Jarvis U was that I was shocked at the number of green cards in this deck list, which is something that Phil alluded to earlier. When you look at it, there's Life from the Low, Mulch, Winding Way, Crop Rotation, Exploration, Mana Bond. 
Well, there's a lot of red green lands in this deck, but no red cards in the main deck. Pretty strange, right? Well, when you go to the sideboard, there are a, four, a total of four Pyroblast effects. Two Pyro, two Red Elemental Blast, and then two Flame Jab, which is a red retrace card that says Sorcery, deal one damage to target creature or player. So it picks off Delvers or maybe even Dragon's Reach Channeler early enough. But you don't actually have to be red which I, I thought was an interesting way to think about it because this deck is barely red. So you could be blue and with blue, you get access to fluster storm uh, as a way of sh shaping up your combo matchup because collector roof is good, but it's slow. And if you're not playing mox diamond fluster storm becomes more interesting. Once again, I shouldn't be helping people beat me, but here I am. And maybe with blue, you can get something for another matchup as well. If you don't want to submerge for the mirror. Oh my God. Echoing truth for their zombies. I guess they would take your zombies with them. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that is wild. I hate it. Thanks. Yeah. You get Uro. <clears throat> yeah. Uro seems really good, good to be honest. Like There, there are Uro builds of this deck floating around as well. It's out there. If you're white, you could get Deafening Silence, which is a turn one play instead of Collector Roof. With white, you also get Prismatic Ending or Swords to Plowshares for Murktide Regent. There's a lot of ways you can actually build this sideboard. I'm just saying don't lock yourself into being red. I mean, if there was a reason to play Black and Legacy, I, I guess you could play it. But uh, the joke is that black cards aren't playable. I'm sorry uh, to Plague Engineer. You're you're the true hero. What? 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 All right. We we gotta end this cast soon. Uh, there's some wild shit flying around in here now. We can't be praising Plague Engineer. Plague Engineer is a design masterpiece, and if it messes with you, you are up to no good anyway. Thank you for all right. Listening. So I'm looking for two new podcast hosts, and we are looking for one. <laughs> Fuck, <laughs> you're outvoted, Phil. See you later. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed this wonderful episode of our podcast. Uh, for those of you who are following us on Patreon, uh, don't forget to check a few days before the next cast uh, to kind of get in there and give us some ideas for the patron-specific topic. Have a great rest of the day, folks, and uh, we'll see you again next time. Bye.